We as followers of Jesus Christ believe and have faith in things that are strange. It's true. We believe that a first century Jewish man is the Son of God, uh, who was resurrected from the dead, and he is the Lord of heaven and earth. It's kind of strange. And that belief does not get as much traction in the world as it used to, and yet I still believe that it is true and life-saving. So how do we justify this faith? How do we justify what we believe and may have experienced in our own lives of Jesus' resurrection? What beyond our own experience makes it possible for us to believe such things? Well, I go back to a book and what Rowan Williams says in his book, uh, Tokens of Trust. Tokens of Trust by Rowan Williams. Williams was, is, is, first of all, a theologian. Second, he is a bishop. Third, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury. But for, first and foremost, he is a faithful Christian and theologian. And in Tokens of Trust, he ta- tackles uh, the question of how a person can believe in God despite all the bad and evil things that happen and all the suffering in the world. You know, how does one continue to have faith or continue to believe? It's a good and valid question, one about which we may wonder ourselves. And William's answer has been helpful to me through the years, in that his belief, he says, does not come from reasoned proofs of God's existence or even the explicit experience of God himself. William's belief, he says, comes from the trustworthy example and testimony of other people. He says, faith has a lot to do with the simple fact that there are trustworthy people whose lives are to be seen. There are trustworthy, he says, faith has a lot to do with the simple fact that there are trustworthy lives to be seen. And then he he cites the example of a person named Brother Joe, who was a monk and spiritual director, uh, whom Williams knew through the years. Uh, Then he also cites the example of a Jewish woman, Eddie Hillisom, who kept a journal of her experience of the Holocaust and who even in the face of persecution and eventual death at Auschwitz still, still persisted in her belief in a good, loving, and active God. And it was because of people like that that Williams himself could believe. And that leads me to think of those trustworthy people in my own life whose example has made it possible for me to believe in God and in Christ's resurrection. And so I think of my mother uh, sitting next to her in church when I was growing up. I think of the priest at St. Peter's in Pasadena, where I went to church, and the Sunday school teachers and the youth ministers who gave their time and attention to me. I think about some of my professors at seminary. Of course, I think of all the faithful people uh, that I've known in years of service as a priest at the church, churches I've served. And of course, there's authors that are important to me, like T.S. Eliot and, and Thomas Merton, and folks like that who have enabled me to believe and have faith. And like the Apostle Paul, we have all received a tradition. We have all received a tradition that has been handed on to us and have in one way or another known something of the risen Christ. And maybe we are here today because we need, you know, we need a word of hope and we want to get a glimpse of Jesus. And when it all comes down to it, the words we have today written by the Apostle Paul may be the most important set of verses in the entire New Testament, if not the Bible where Paul says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those 
who have fallen asleep. All of us here, all of us here, this whole church around us and all the other churches in the land from the urban cathedrals to the little country wood frame churches to the suburban mega churches are all here on the basis of this one fact, Christ being raised from the dead. Now that fact is certainly in doubt today, uh, but it was even doubted during Paul's time. Even in the churches he planted, like the one in the Greek city of Corinth, you know, Paul asked the Corinthians a question. Now, if Christ, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, there were a lot of problems in the church in Corinth, and one of those problems was that some believe, some of them believe that there would not be a general resurrection of the dead. You know, they believed that God had raised Jesus from the dead, but they didn't believe, really believe that God was going to raise anyone else from the dead. And so Paul thought this was ridiculous, and he says, you know, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. And so Paul is saying is that to that to deny the dead are raised is to deny that Jesus himself was raised. And this, this matter of the general resurrection was, uh, well, was a matter of contention during Jesus and Paul's life. Whether there was a general resurrection from the dead at the end of time was debated between the followers of the Jesus movement, who along with the Pharisees believed that there was a general resurrection of the dead at the end of the age or at the end of time, uh, compared to the Sadducees, another group of uh, during that time, who didn't believe in a resurrection. And then to complicate the matter further, there were these Christian, there were Gentiles, but then there's also Christian Gentiles who are skeptical about the resurrection of the dead based on their belief in the sharp distinction between the body and the soul, that the, that the body, or that the soul was the real person and the body was just a shell that would be left behind uh, once that person had died and the soul would go to be with God. And Paul, as a former former Pharisee and someone who had a profound experience of the risen Christ held this more Jewish belief uh, that the body was infused or inspired by the, by the breath of God and was therefore something good, something to be valued, something that was worthy to be raised from the dead. And so Paul, in chapter 15, at the beginning of the chapter from which we heard a few words today, he said, for I handed on to you the tradition that I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 people, some of whom are still alive. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. So Paul was a latecomer to the resurrection party. It's not exactly clear when Paul arrived at that party. Uh, the letters we have of Paul's in the Bible are date from you know, during the 50s A.D., while the events of Jesus' passion occurred in 33 A.D. And so at some point between 33 and the year 50, Paul had this incredible experience that changed his life, changing him from uh, being a persecutor of the church, persecuting Christians, to becoming a Christian himself. And the tradition that he received and his own experience are the basis uh, the fact that Christ was raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. And not only did he receive this tradition, he actually knew some of the people part of that tradition. I mean, he knew uh, Cephas, who we know as Peter, and he also knew James, the brother of Jesus. And so Paul was part of a living tradition. 
And all of us here today, we are part of that same living tradition. One way or another, the faith has been passed on to us, and we have faith in part because of others have had faith. But we may wonder, we may wonder, is that faith enough? In one of her sermons, the, the priest and professor and renowned preacher, Barbara Brown Taylor, she likened faith, and I think I've used this example before, but it's a good one, so I'm going to use it again. Uh, but Barbara Brown Taylor likened faith to a rope bridge over a gorge. She says, faith is not a well-fluffed nest or a well-defended castle on a hill. The faith, she says, is a rope bridge over a scenic gorge, sturdy but swinging back and forth over the gorge. And on this rope bridge, there is little to hang on to. But the stories you have heard, this bridge is the best and only way across. And it, this rope bridge, will bear your weight. All you have to do is trust in the bridge more than you believe in the gorge and to look to the people who have already crossed ahead and who wait for you on the other side. So faith is a sturdy rope bridge that gets us across. Now we have heard the story of Christ crucified and raised from the dead. It's the story which shapes our life and animates our lives. It's the story we are here to remember and celebrate today. And we all know people who have crossed ahead, who wait on the other side. Cephas, James, and Paul, and all the saints and sinners, those we have known and those whose images are in, pictured in windows or names are on walls, uh, all those who had the faith to build a church like this, they and what they have left behind are the living proof that Christ has been raised from the dead. And may we be living proof to others. May we be the living proof for those that follow us. For our faith, the faith that we have received, is not in vain. It is not futile. It is faith enough to get us to the other side. Amen.